What was Mark Elias helping the DNC hide this time? Unlike last time, he can't simply leave and start a new law firm elsewhere. By Brian Cates. Last week, much buzz was started in political circles when it was announced by the Democratic National Committee that it was cutting its ties with Democrat super lawyer Mark Elias. Long an established figure in the national news due to his prominent role in both the Spygate scandal and in numerous lawsuits following the past two elections, Elias has spent the past few years imperiously floating from one controversial contretemps to another. Until now. On Wednesday, the likely reasons for the DNC tossing Elias over the side last week was revealed. A highly detailed complaint had been filed with the Federal Elections Commission on April 11th by longtime GOP consultant and strategist Dan Backer. The announcement that the DNC was moving on from Elias came the very next day, on the 12th. That was exceedingly quick work on the DNC's part, don't you think? What prompted the organization to move with such alacrity? The DNC making this move is exceedingly strange because Elias is up to his eyeballs in most of the key litigation the DNC has been involved in following both controversial elections in 2020 and 2022. In fact, you could accurately describe Elias as being the quarterback of the DNC's litigation strategies as it tried to hold on to what many observers see as election gains achieved through organized and systemic fraud. It was Elias who played a key role in 2020 in fully making use of the COVID-19 pandemic to rig numerous state elections via a new unconstitutional mail-in voting policy. These illegal new policies were put into place arbitrarily with absolutely no input whatsoever from the state lawmakers. Elias achieved this end run around the state legislatures by going directly to governors, secretaries of state, and state supreme courts. Elias and his phalanx of DNC lawyers would then either do backroom deals or threaten litigation to get these new statewide mail-in voting procedures enacted and enforced. While the GOP and state Republican lawmakers attempted to halt the strategy once it became apparent what Elias and the DNC were up to, such litigation is a slow and time-consuming process, which was part of Elias's overall strategy. The 2020 election came and went long before many of the legal challenges to these unconstitutional mail-in voting policies could be heard in the courts. While some states have rolled back the mail-in abuses that Elias got enacted by hook or by crook for the 2020 election, in other states the litigation still drags on, now compounded by the controversies and manifest abuses that occurred in the more recent 2022 midterms. Following the midterms, Elias was frequently in the news again, turning up in key battleground states such as Arizona, Georgia, and Pennsylvania, leading the DNC's litigation charge to hold on to the questionable gains made after some suspiciously long weeks of vote counting. Which, again, 
makes the DNC taking the quarterback, who's been very publicly driving their election litigation strategies and shoving him so quickly out the door the day after this complaint was filed with the FEC so exceedingly newsworthy. I should like to note at this point that FEC isn't a criminal law enforcement agency. While as a regulatory entity it can fine violators for not following federal election laws, it cannot criminally charge anyone for such violations. That's up to the Department of Justice or, say, a special counsel's office. Last year, the FEC fined the DNC $105,000 and the Hillary Clinton for President 2016 campaign $8,000 for making fraudulent filings with the agency that concealed the payments to Fusion GPS and others involved in making and selling two hoaxes to both the news media and the federal agencies. It must be remembered that Hillary Clinton's campaign team and the DNC deliberately used the law firm of Perkins Coie to launder the money paid to these operatives. And the person at Perkins Coie running both the hoax construction operation and helping to launder the money was none other than Mark Elias. It's long been known that a key part of special counsel John Durham's criminal probe into the joint venture between various entities and organizations that led to the creation of those two specific Trump-Russia collusion hoaxes, the Alpha Bank hoax and the Steele dossier hoax, involved tracing the funds used to pay the political operatives active in both manufacturing the hoaxes and taking them to the federal agencies. We know this because Durham extensively mapped out the joint venture in his various filings in the Michael Sussman case last year. It actually is a very serious federal offense to concoct a hoax and take it to a U.S. government official that accuses an innocent person or persons of a crime. And both the DNC and the Clinton campaign committed this serious federal offense not just once, but twice when their political operatives got the FBI and the CIA to take the hoaxes from them. In fact, the FBI started federal investigations of the Donald J. Trump presidential campaign based on both of these hoaxes. While the Alpha Bank hoax investigation didn't go anywhere, the Steele dossier hoax led to a massive scandal when the FBI ended up using the dossier as a basis for surveillance warrants on an as yet still undetermined number of American citizens. Durham conclusively proved this in the court record in both the Sussman and Danchenko cases with the evidence presented to the juries, so the issue at this point is not whether Clinton's campaign and its operatives committed these crimes in creating and handing off the hoaxes. The issue is whether or not Durham is ever going to get around to publicly unsealing any indictments of any of the individuals and entities involved. This is why many have been waiting either with increased anticipation or with an ever-growing apathy for the Durham Special Counsel's Office to make its next move since the Danchenko trial ended with a not-guilty verdict last October. While the New York Times was using the usual anonymous officials familiar with the matter to float the narrative a while back that Durham's wrapped up his investigation and is currently banging out his final report, my position is that I'll wait to hear that from Durham himself before I draw any conclusions about whether he's done or not. One solid lesson I learned from 22-plus months of fake 
leaks supposedly from inside or around the Mueller special counsel was not to trust anonymous sources feeding the fake news' confirmation biases. And a key part of Durham's probe was penetrating the shady accounting practices being utilized by all the members of the criminal joint venture to hide the dirty money they were using to invent and spread Trump-Russia collusion hoaxes. There's no doubt that Durham's investigation was directly involved in Elias's exit from Perkins Coie in 2021, when he announced he was leaving to form his own law firm. The question right now is, how much, if any, role did Durham's investigation play in uncovering any further questionable accounting practices being utilized by Elias and the DNC in the more recent election cycles. <laughs>